You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Simpsonville teaching pastor, Jason Thompson. Let's go ahead and get into Ephesians 4. There is so much in this chapter. I'm going to be going kind of quick, all right? But let's just get as much done as we can. And my, my goal is to go verse by verse all the way through. So here we go. Verse 1. Well, let's, let's rehash a little bit, all right? So, like, let's not just dive in and, like, with no context, all right? Remember, the, chapter one, the Father, all right? And today's topic is unity. So I want us to look at the view it through the lens of unity, all right? The Father wants unity, all right? The Son paid so it could happen, all right? On the cross, shed his blood, covering sins, made it possible for us to have unity, especially unity with God, but also unity with other people. And it is through the Spirit that it actually happens. So all this was set up, Father, Son, Spirit, chapters one, two, and three. And now we're looking at the nitty gritty of the, how is the Spirit gonna make this happen? How is he gonna help us make this happen in the church? So here we go. This is Paul talking. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's hard already. He's already putting a lot on us here. And um, I want you to notice, though, when he says, worthy of the calling that you have received, he assumes you've been called. You have been called, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more later in, this, in, this, in th- this message, but you have been called, all right? And he's challenged us to be humble and gentle in that calling and also to be patient. Now, I don't know about you, but often when I think about patient, I think of just not getting angry, all right? I think of just enduring. I think of walking away when I'm about to explode, all right? So like, for example, if I'm at the intersection, the downtown Simpsonville with Curtis and Main Street, and I have somebody trying to turn left in front of me who is incapable of turning left, all right? And so at that moment, I consider it a win if there's no profane thought that comes in my head and there's no honking of the horn, all right? And if you are one of those people that go through an entire light, even when it turns red and you don't turn left, all right, the flesh is going to win out for me, okay? I'm just sorry that the honking is going to come, so just be prepared. But in my, for me, it's a win that I just, I don't honk and I don't think bad thoughts, okay? But Paul takes it to a different level here. He says, bearing with one another in love. A definition of bearing is to lift up and support, Man, that takes it to another level right there. That we're not just supposed to endure where we just don't snap at somebody, but we're supposed to take them where they're at, lift them up, and support them. There is a child in my house currently that is incapable of putting his shoes on the right feet, and I don't understand it. Over and over, like even if he randomly put them on, it seems like they should be on the right feet more often than they are, all right? And so, and, and for me, I, I just don't understand. And there have been times I'm like, why? Why? Every morning, why are they on the wrong feet? And I, I just don't get it. I've even, I've sat down to show them, see, they point in. If they're pointing out, that's no good. No bueno, all right? So like, and I watch them and he can't walk. He walks funny when they're on the wrong feet, but, they're, but he puts them on the wrong feet all the time. And there was a time where I'm like, just getting very frustrated with it. And eventually I'm like, I don't know where he's at. I don't know exactly what's going on. Is it a processing issue? Is he just seeking attention? Like, I don't know. 
but I, I just, I, I switched the flip, I flipped the switch, and it was like, I'm not, I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna let this be frustrating. I'm not gonna get angry. The expectation is gonna remain the same. He cannot leave my house with them on the wrong feet, all right? So as many times as it takes, all right, he's wasting his time and he's wasting my time, but he is going to put them on the right feet, but I'm not gonna get upset because I, I don't understand what's going on here completely, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna walk with them on this path. And that's what we need to do. Like there are so many times when we cross frustrating people. And the reason why we get upset often is because we just, we don't understand why they say the things they say, why they do the things they do, how they can keep on making the same mistake over and over and over again. But God understands. That's why we hand these things over to God. We can't see it, we don't understand it, but we're asked to just walk beside them and continuously lift them up to the best of our ability and let God handle the frustrating things. All right, and so this is what Paul is saying. Verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now that's a mouthful, but let's break that down, just make sure that we're on the same page, okay? There is one body, and that body is the body of Christ. That's a church. There's just one. You can have a thousand different denominations, but just know that there's one body of Christ, all right? And there is one spirit, all right? That's pretty clear. We're gonna see the Trinity in here. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. The hope is that we will be reunited with God through Jesus Christ. There's only one way to get there. There's one hope when you were called. One Lord, and that Lord is Jesus Christ, all right? He is our Lord and Savior, all right? One faith, it's faith in him. One baptism, we only get baptized one time. There's not a million different baptisms. There's one. One God, and that's the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Again, very complex. Paul gets into some deep stuff here and he has special revelation so he understands this better than most and he's trying to help us understand it. Whenever you see um, the text bracketed this way, it's kind of set apart this way, it is a quote. It's a quote of a song, of a creed, but it's usually a song of what we, what we call the Old Testament, okay? And so this is a specific quote from Psalm 68. And it talks about how the Lord will be met on top of the mountaintop. He's gonna be the victor. He's gonna be receiving gifts and then he'll give gifts in return. And so he's, he's referencing this as a prophetic song. And then he talks about this ascending and descending. And he says, okay, we now know that, that the Son of God is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is in all glory. He has all power. He is in that prestigious spot in heaven, okay? But it, the scripture says he ascended there. Now, he was there from the very beginning, so if he then ascended there, then he must have descended at some point. There was a lot of uh, theology of false religion that was going around, false teaching that, that God never actually came in the flesh. 
that he never descended to earth in the first place. And Paul's refuting that, te- that teaching. All right, he's there now, but he descended and he was among us. There's also another interpretation of this, which I, I really like. I think I kind of, it works on both levels, but it's also talking about how he descended into the belly of the earth. What we, they would consider Hades. We might refer to it as hell. That's a, don't think of it as like the lake of fire kind of hell, but just in their mind, you know, the death and the grave, that's their context. But Jesus also descended into the grave. But now he's ascended as victor, all right? And so because of that, he was able to set the captives free. It references this multiple times in scripture that when Jesus died and rose from the grave, that he set the captives free. Now, if you would have come to the last apologetics class, you would get some inside information on all of this. We talked about, we've talked about heaven and hell the last two episodes. And just know that it, even if you can't attend the physical class on uh, the second and fourth Tuesdays of every night, that you can listen to the podcast. You can go back and listen to all the ones that we've done. And we've tackled a ton of topics, a lot of the difficult stuff, a lot of things that people have questions about. So, you know, sign up for the class so you can get the podcast and hear this. All right, but what we talked about with heaven, some people think that when you die, that you kind of rest in a restful state and you go to sleep and then one day, you know, God is gonna come back and then, and then he'll set the captives free, all right? I don't, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's the truth, all right? I think to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. I think there's lots of scripture. There's two passages that point people in this idea of sleeping, one in Isaiah and one in Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. And they read that and they, they say, oh, we're just in a resting state. But no, there's lots of passages that point to something else. So your physical body is in a resting state because one day God is going to resurrect your physical body. And I don't care if it's just molecules left of it, okay? Like God can take care of it. He is gonna resurrect. And it says very clearly in scripture on judgment day, everyone's body is gonna be resurrected and then it's gonna be judged between heaven and hell, all right? Whether you're in in the book of life or not, all right? But, but before that, our spirit either goes to a place of holding that's a torment or it goes to, to be with Jesus. Before Jesus died, though, it was a resting place that was separated from, from heaven because the sins weren't paid for. You couldn't be with God before Jesus paved the way for you to be with God. But once Jesus died on the cross, he was able to take all the people, all the spirit that was in a holding place for that, and he took them to heaven with him. That's why on the the cross, he could look at the sinner beside him and say, you will see me in paradise today. You will be with me. So the good news is, and you could rest assured that if your loved ones knew Jesus Christ as their savior, they're with our heavenly father. They're with the son, and it's beautiful. And he's saying, All right, so we now know that Jesus is ascended there. We know this. We've already seen him raised from the dead, so we know that we have that hope, all right? What what does a victor do? When you set the captives free, when you win, you win the war, you win, all right? Then to the victor go the spoils. So now he's giving away gifts. He's passing them out to his body, to the church. Each one of us is given a calling and a gift to use in the church, All right, so how are we gonna have unity? One, we gotta be patient. Number two, we've gotta use our gifts. We have got to use our gifts. And he gives us good gifts. Look at some of these gifts that he gives us. This is not an exhaustive list. This is kind of like the leadership gifts here. But verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers 
to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until when? Let's look at this. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what gifts does he give the church? Now, the body, it's a lot of different gifts. But to the church, he gives special gifts. And this week, sometimes could refer to as a five-fold ministry. You have the apostles, you have the prophets, you have the evangelists, you have the pastors, and you have the teachers. And their job is to equip the whole body to make sure it's mature, make sure they are, are healthy disciples that go out and reach the world and build one another up and strengthen and build God's kingdom. That is their goal. Unfortunately, the church kind of writes off these first two as if they're not still present. Apostles and prophets. You're like, wait, wait, Jason, how, are you saying that there's still apostles? I'm not saying that there's official office of apostleship, all right, for people, and they have this elite status that are just like Paul and just like Peter and, and all that. What I'm saying is there's an apostolic gift this gift of God calling people into leadership, God calling the entrepreneurs that start things, that get ministries off the ground, to push things forward, that have a clear apostolic gift. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that Pastor Jeremy has this apostolic gift. Like, I sometimes give him a hard time. Like, hey, you're an apostle, Jeremy. And he hates that. Like, like that makes him cringe. He's like, um, but to me, it's a, a clear gifting of, of leadership, of God calling, of pushing things forward. All right, And there are certainly people with prophetic gifts. We have a number of people in the church that have a prophetic gifting. That, and it's just, it's simple. Don't make it too complicated. It's, it's being able to hear direct, like, direct messages from God and sharing them with people. Things that you couldn't possibly know in your own understanding, your own knowledge, but God gives you stuff to share with people. All right, insights. And then evangelists. Man, we need more evangelists. But I know that there are people in this church that, are not shy about going up to people and talking to them and telling them about Jesus. I can think of people in, there, in here that have an evangelistic gifting. And this is a gifting that is both for men and women. Anyone can have these giftings, all right? It's for the whole church. And then there's, there's pastoral gift. That, for us, that just is shepherding. Unfortunately, today, we call like anyone in leadership is just a pastor. Like, we call them that even though they might have no shepherding gifts. Like, if they're the top guy, um, they're just called everyone's called a pastor. All right? But for us, why we call pastors pastors is because they are in charge of people to shepherd people or shepherd a group. All right, that's what it means to us. And then there are teachers. Teachers are people that can explain things, complicated things, make them simple. They teach the word of God. And so these are the gifts that we need, and, and how, how long will God give us these gifts? Until we have reached full maturity and fully understand Jesus Christ. I don't think the church is there yet. I don't know about you, but I don't think we're there yet, so he's still giving us these gifts. And individually, all of us have been given a gift that we need to use. When I was in high school, I, I, I was a, a pretty good athlete. And uh, soccer was my first love. I played soccer since I was four years old. Um, I, I was pretty good at soccer. My sophomore year, we were on, I was on a high school team that was one of the top 10 teams in the state in, in our category, 3A. And I started as a sophomore. And then my junior year, I was all conference um, for the team. And I had, I had a number of scouts looking at me. 
Um, unfortunately, at that time, I, I, I dislocated my knee very badly. So my left knee, um, I just, I don't know exactly what happened. I think someone like, kind of knocked it off, but it just like, it went out. I don't know if you've ever seen a dislocated knee, but it ceases looking like a knee when it's dislocated. Like it's just this weird in cave, like it's just gross, all right? And so it was just like hanging out, it was freaking out. I get it fixed. And then just a little bit while later, my right one dislocates. And so I'm like, what's going on? And I go to the doctor and get checked out. And he's like, yeah, you have abnormally high kneecaps. Your patella sits up too high. It's pulled by the tendon up there where it's not really supposed to be. And so it comes out too easily. Now, what we can do is we can slit it. And so it will no longer do that. It'll be kind of looser in there. It won't be as, as strong as before, but it won't dislocate. So I'm like, well, let me, let me try working with it like it is. That doesn't sound like fun, right? And so, but I kept dislocating them. I kept dislocating them four or five times each before I finally went and had the surgeries. And so why I'm telling you this, all right? Like, so before I had this dislocation problem, I had, I had Division I scouts looking at me in soccer, all right. After all my dislocation problems, I only had Division II scouts looking at me. All right. It wasn't that I wasn't no good at soccer any longer. I, I was good. I was a good athlete. But just one part of my body was letting me down. One part was too high, out of place, not doing the right thing. And I eventually had to get it cut, cut out so it stopped doing and, and messing up and where I could start building my leg up stronger. All right. Like the church will go on without you. All right but the church will never be as strong as it could possibly be if you refuse to do your part. You have been called by God to do something for the church, all right? You have been equipped with special gifts that only that you can bring to the church in that particular way that you can bring it. And if you withhold that, or if you go down a path of sin and disqualify yourself from that, then you are no good to the church and you, you are not allowing the church to be what it could possibly be. It's the two-year anniversary of the book that we put out, Worth No Less. And the reason that, if I could sum up that book in like one sentence, it is, I want everyone to realize that they've been called and they're supposed to be used, all right? There are so many people that feel worthless, that feel like they don't have anything to offer. And unfortunately, the church has made them feel that way often. All right, disqualify them for divorce, disqualify them for past sexual sin, disqualify them because they've had substance abuse issues or they have family issues. And we're just immediately writing them off. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, and this is what our church believes here at Renovation, that everyone is called and everyone is called to be a disciple. And it's our responsibility as a church to help you get to where you need to go. All right, that is what we're supposed to be doing. And so everyone's gotta be in this together. We've gotta use our gifts. All right, let's keep reading. There's so many good things in here. Let's go verse 14 now. Then, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. And you know this, you've seen people that it's like every new teaching, you're like, what? You're going after that? They're just blown by the wind, all right? And it's, it's frustrating. And like every new love interest in their life, they completely change who they are and what they think and, and where they wanna go and all these kind of things. And so it's like, no, no, no. We, we have a foundation and we have these gifts to get us to a place of maturity. We should not be tossed to and fro this way. Let's get more mature. And here's the key to that maturity. Instead, speaking the truth in love 
We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. In order to get there, in order to be mature, we have to be people that are willing to speak truth in love. And we err in two different ways. The most prevalent way we err is we don't speak the truth. We keep it to ourselves. We don't wanna upset anybody, we don't want conflict, but I'm here to tell you that is not the way to get to unity. Eventually, by not speaking, it will be so divisive and so corrupt and so sinful that there will be disunity everywhere. There'll be problems everywhere. We have to speak the truth. And this is one of the reasons why we're doing the apologetics class. You're like, you wanna know what we believe? You, want what we, you know what we think about every single topic out there? We will tell you very bluntly what we think and we'll back it up from scripture. Sunday mornings are more of a rallying cry where we can, we can sow seeds to all different people. People that are unsaved, just coming to church for the first time. People that are new believers. People that have been mature believers for years. We're trying to hit everyone at one time, which is hard to do. But in our small groups, we're gonna grow to even greater maturity. That is, that is the purpose. But we have to speak truth. This is especially important amongst our friends. If you're not willing to tell a friend that they're messing up, then you're not being a good friend. That's right. yeah. All right? That is not love. Letting them go down a path of sin or even a path of foolishness is not love. You must speak truth to people. At the same time, the other way you can mess up is by not doing it in love. Every time you tell someone a hard truth, you should be prayed up. You should be make sure that every word that comes out of your mouth is from the spirit and not from you. You're not speaking out of frustration or anger, but you are speaking out of love because you care about them. And so we need to be a people that does Matthew 18, that we, we see someone that has offended us, someone that is bothering us, someone that is sinning, we go to them in love. If they reject us, then we're taking some other friends together so they can hear it from two different people, talking it through. And if they still don't, then we need to bring the church involved because we need to protect this body. It's so important. All right, let's read verse 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So Christ is our head, and, and the Spirit is holding all these body parts together. These body parts are trying to go to different places, all right, get out of joint. They're trying to mess up, but the Spirit is trying to keep it together. And if we are healthy, then these ligaments are strongly holding all the body together, and we're able to be a healthy, functioning body. Verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You know, sometimes we're just, it's just unbelievable how the world lives, and we don't understand why they do just self-defeating things and destroying themselves. And it's because they've hardened their hearts to God. They don't want to do things God's way. 
God's way. They want to do things their way. And so the more they do things their way and reject God's way, the more they harden their hearts. And so they've kind of been given over to this hard heart and they can't even see. This is what it says in verse 19 now. They, having lost all sensitivity to the spirit, to what's right and wrong, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Before we gave our hearts to Jesus, we are just fully embracing the flesh. Like we are living in the flesh. We are acting through the flesh. That is our old self. That is the old man. But Paul is saying, we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to live like that. Because once you gave your heart to Jesus, you now have the spirit. You have the new man. You have new life in you. And yes, it's this wrestling. It's this battle between the flesh and the spirit. But Jesus has given us the power to win that battle. We can win that wrestling match. And, but we've got to cut away the parts that are, that are destroying us. All right, and so here we go, verse 25. Therefore, it's about to get, it's about to get difficult. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. I know we're all familiar with this. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That is really hard in marriage, isn't it? Like just, like it is really hard. I don't, I don't know how legalistic you are about this first and whether you guys really do stay up all night, refuse to go to bed angry. Um, but just with people, it is, is very difficult. But the problem is you sleep on it it kind of just rests in your soul there. For it rests in your spirit. That, that seed of bitterness starts just getting embedded. And it gets deeper and deeper and harder to pull out. And he's saying, don't even let it get a foothold. All right? Don't even let it get in a little bit. Pull that seed out immediately. Because otherwise it's going to get bad. Because look at some of the stuff that it could turn into. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice." Those are high standards. And especially when it talks about, I mean, it's not just saying, don't say profanity, all right? Like uh, sometimes they, they use this verse that someone has a potty mouth. They're like, uh-uh, remember Ephesians 4.29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, all right? But they almost don't focus on the other part. It's not just not saying mean things or bad things. All right? It's a whole other life. Only say things that are helpful for building others up according to their needs and that it may benefit those who listen. 
This is a very hard standard, but essentially what it is saying is there's never an excuse to be mean. There's never an excuse to be unhelpful or unkind. Yes, you'll have to say hard things. And yes, you need to communicate your feelings. You don't need to bottle those up. But the goal is through the help of the Spirit to only let the things that come out of your mouth be things that are helpful and build others up. That is a super high standard. It means it's not okay to let frustration build in your heart. It's not okay to let anger build in your heart. It's not okay to let bitterness and malice build up in your heart. You've got to get rid of those things immediately because otherwise they will conquer you. So again, we need to lift each other up and be patient. We need to use our gifts. We need to speak the truth in love. And the last thing I want to leave you with is we've got to take the garbage out. All our bitterness, all our anger, all our malice, all our frustrations, we've got to get them out of our hearts. It's the only way that we're going to have unity in the church. We let those sit, we let those fester, then there is going to be division in the church. And we can't just take them out. We also have to take the next step and replace them with positivity, replace them with this last verse. And this last verse um, has a special meaning for me because it's the first one I memorized. Way back in Awanas, all right? And I'm here to tell you people, like if you are not training your kids to memorize verses now, then you are, you are making a big misstep because they're sponges. It's so easy to remember. I can still remember, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgives you. Like, obviously, that is King James Version. That's all what we grew up with, the church I was in. That's all we read. But in that, it, I can remember it to this day. And so if we will plant the positive seeds in our children's heart, then it will, it will bear good fruit, and they will remember that. But let's look at this verse in the NIV here, verse 31, or actually verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And so we're looking at it through this lens. God forgave us a bunch of stuff. All right, we'll never be able to compete with how many things he's forgiven us for. He has paid the way. And just as God has forgiven us, we must forgive others quickly, easily. Let it be quick in our hearts, to, quick to forgive and we've got to be kind. Our default setting is kindness. There's a lot of people that do not view Christians in that way. They would say the default setting is judgment or hypocrisy. But people that are mature in Christ, that truly understand what's going on, to truly understand what Christ has done for them, their default setting is kindness and when they are wronged, they are quick to forgive. And by that, you, you keep the garbage out. If your heart is full of kindness and forgiveness, the garbage can't get in. So once you take out the garbage, you fill it up so people can't come and like, what do I do with this garbage? They can't put it there because your heart's full of kindness and forgiveness. And that is the kind of people we must be in order to have unity in the church. Will you close with me in a word of prayer? Lord, thank you for laying it out so clearly. And thank you for being a God who forgives us over and over and over again. You love us where we are. 
You don't expect us to be somewhere else than where we actually are. And I pray that we will be a church that also has your empathy, your love, your understanding, your wisdom, your patience, your kindness, your mercy with other people. That when they come to us for help, even if it's the 99th time that they've done it, that we will still help them, we will still love them. We will care for them. Give us the strength to be like you. And help this church to be one that unifies. That there's any dissension in this body right now, if there's any animosity, there's any hard feelings, that we will be brave, that we will be courageous, that we'll be obedient to the spirit. We will go to the person we have a problem with and we will get it right today. And when we speak, we speak with truth and love. We do it from a place of tenderness, of kindness, of wanting to do the right thing. And that there will be no issues in this body. And then this body will be so healthy and whole that we will be a blessing to other church bodies and we'll be a blessing to this community. And we will be on the forefront leading the way and embracing unity across all people groups in this great town. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious name, amen. Church, as always, the prayer team will be down here. We love you and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.